love to read. I love books. In particular, I love historical fiction. I like to read about people and then a little extra about them. And I love mythology. And one of my favorite historical fiction books that I read was actually recommended to me. It was The Memoirs of Cleopatra. It was fantastic. One of my favorite mythology books was actually recommended to me by my son. And I have fallen in love with the Percy Jackson series and all of the other series that follows. In fact, the majority of books that I have loved have been recommended to me. And it's funny about book recommendations because you never get one that does not involve the ending somehow. When people talk about books, when friends talk about books, neighbors talk about books, they always say things like, oh, it's a great book, just wait for the ending. Or they'll say, oh, that book is horrible, but the ending is fantastic. Or they'll say, I loved the book and hated the ending. Because there are some people who feel like an ending needs to be perfectly wrapped up. There's some people who like an ending with a twist. And then there are some people who cannot handle it and they read the end of the book to get through the suspense of the middle. I was thinking about book endings and so I did what everybody does when something's on your mind and you have a question about it. I Googled it. And so I Googled book endings, and do you know what came up? All kinds of top 10 lists of the most disappointing endings of a book. And so I kind of went and I looked through all of these different lists of the most disappointing endings of all these books. And I'm not going to give you all of them, but I will tell you, I found a few consistent titles There is some agreement on some disappointing endings, and they're surprising. One, Romeo and Juliet. People didn't like the way it ended. Another one, The Giver. Do you remember that book? If you have not read it, that means you are under the age of 10. You will have to read it soon, I promise. Not everybody liked the way The Giver ended. The Lord of the Flies. Do you remember that book? People didn't like the way that ended. There are two books that surprised me. Harry Potter. In particular, The Deathly Hallows and The Half-Blood Prince. People said it's some of the most disappointing endings. But the one that I found the most interesting is the story of Alice in Wonderland, The Looking Glass. After all of the vivid imagery, after all of this incredible imaginative things that happened, they say that the ending was just a throwaway, like, man, it's a dream. (laughs) You may or may not agree with some of the disappointing endings. You may have a few titles of your own. But what is true is that somehow an ending can make or break a story. And the same is true for scripture. Believe it or not, there are multiple endings in many different stories in scripture. In fact, in the Old Testament, the same story sometimes is told 
twice with a different ending. Or the same story is told by different people with different endings. If you read the prophets with a very discerning eye, you will see one in particular that has three different endings in a book, three different sections, three different endings put together. If you look in the New Testament, you will see this even more specifically. In the Gospel of Mark, if you have a Bible with a heading, it literally says at the end, the shorter ending. And then after you read that, the next section says, the longer ending. You have a first ending and a second ending in Mark. In the Gospel of John, the exact same thing is true. It just doesn't say it. You get through the Gospel of John, and then you read chapter 20, and it's the end. And it says, and then Jesus appeared. End of story. But then you notice there's a whole nother chapter. It's the second ending. It's the longer ending. And so this morning, we are going to take the time to read the second ending, the longer ending. Why? Because I like it better. (laughs) The first ending, the second ending, chapter 21 says this. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he showed himself in this way. Gathered there together were Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we'll go with you. They went out, got onto the boat, but that night they caught nothing. When we first meet these men, do you remember what they were doing? They were fishing. And now, after this incredible life-changing event, what are they doing? Fishing. All of a sudden, after this incredible life-changing event, they go back to what they were doing about two or three years before, and they fish. They revert. They go to their default. They're not out eating with sinners. They're not out healing the sick. They're not out even telling the story. They don't feed the people, tend to the people, or follow Christ. It's almost as if after all this incredible imagery, these beautiful details, they pick the shorter ending. But the story is not over. Just after daybreak, Jesus stood on the beach, but the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, you have no fish, have you? And they answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net to the right side of the boat and you will find some. 
So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because there were so many fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on some clothes, for he was naked, and he jumped into the sea. But the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, only about a hundred yards off. And when they had gone ashore, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish on it and bread. And Jesus said, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And though there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have some breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared to ask, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Now, this is exactly what makes this scripture one of my favorites. Because we're on the beach and there's a charcoal fire. I can feel the sand and I can smell the grill. Now, I know that someone in here, I don't know who, but I'm sure someone in here is about to go to the beach in the next few weeks or the next few months. And I know that whoever goes to the beach, you're going to grill. And when you do, I hope you remember this exact scripture. Because Jesus is on the beach grilling for his friends. And do you know what he makes? Breakfast. Jesus grills breakfast. Now, you may be thinking for your breakfast, you like things like scrambled eggs and grits. I do. But we are in the ancient Middle East. And in the ancient Middle East, every time you eat, you must have fish and bread. And so they didn't have what they needed to have a decent meal. And so now Jesus is offering fish and bread on the grill, because we know everything tastes better on the grill. In a sense, Jesus is completing the meal for the disciples. And we have this issue of 153. Now I have to tell you, if you're a numbers person, there has been a lot written about this particular number of 153 fish. In particular, a lot of attention went into it in the fifth century. And we have major thinkers that have all written different theories of 153. I'm not gonna go into a whole lot of detail, but I'm gonna give you a quick summary. One of those major thinkers broke the number down and said, well, 100 stands for Gentiles. 50 stands for the remnants of Israel, and three stands for the Trinity. So we have 153. Another person, Augustine actually, said, well, you have 10 commandments, 
Seven is a holy number. Put them together and you have 17. If you add one plus two plus three plus four plus five and go all the way to 17, guess what you get? 153. So now, all of a sudden, they think that 153 is a holy number. And yet another person decided, oh, that just means there are 153 species of fish. Do you know what I think it means? 153, do you think, what do you think I think it means? Yeah, y'all right. I think it means there are 153 fish, which means it's just a lot of fish. In fact, I think it's too much fish for just Simon Peter, Nathaniel, Thomas, the sons of Zebedee, and two other guys. I think in a sense, Jesus is just preparing for more. Because we all know when you grow, other people will come. And so here, even in his death, Jesus is preparing for more than we think we need. Here's what happens next at the grill. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to them, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, then feed my lambs. A second time, he said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. So Jesus said to him, then tend my sheep. Jesus said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter felt hurt because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you used to fasten your own belt and go wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will fasten a belt around you and take you where you do not wish to go. He said this to indicate the kind of death by which he would glorify God. And after this, he said, then follow me. This is the same Simon Peter that denied Jesus, not once, not twice, but three times. And now Jesus is offering him an opportunity to affirm his faith, not once, not twice, but three times. Jesus is offering Peter a new ending. Peter doesn't have to stay in the story as the one who denies. He becomes the one that people lead and follow. Because there's more to be done. The work is not over. So they cannot default to what they know. They must look for the next thing. And the same is true for us. We are in our own type of resurrection story. And our tendency is going to be to default 
to what we were doing two to three years ago before the life-changing event we just experienced. We cannot go back the way I was. We cannot revert and forget. In a time where we need to be incredibly intentional, this is our opportunity to be very, very clear on what we do next. This is not the time to just avoid conflict because we're uncomfortable. This is not the time to add something to your schedule just because it can fit. This is not the time to sweep back issues because you don't wanna deal with them. This is not the time for us to ignore or hide or conceal anything. This is the time for us to be honest and open and challenging. We can't go back to fishing because we need to tend to the grill. We can't go back and analyze the last 153 days or weeks or months and years. We can't take a deep dive in that because we need to see what else is out there and who else needs to be found. We need to provide for more. And this is not the time to give up on people. This is actually the time to give people another chance. This is the incredible opportunity to tell the story and to feed, tend, and follow. I wanna read to you this story, and it was written by Fred Craddock, who, is just an inc- who was an incredible preacher, an incredible storyteller. And Fred Craddock says, I was a seminary student and I was assigned to a little church in the hills of Tennessee. My first impressions upon arriving were good. It was a lovely little white frame church filled every Sunday with very friendly folks. After I'd been there a while, I asked the old timers why no one came to the church from the government building project or the lovely neighborhood nearby. I'd driven around the area and saw the people who lived there. There There's so many kids. So I called the leaders of the congregation together. We need to reach out in Christian love to the new folks who are here. They are our neighbors. God has placed a great new mission field in our own backyard. What a great opportunity to be church. The chairman of the board stood up and said, oh, no, 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 no. I don't think so. These people just wouldn't fit in here. But I argued with them. (laughs) These folks live right in our backyard. They need church. We need to share the gospel. That night, the board resolution, or the board passed a resolution, and it read, in order to be a member of this church, you must own property in the county. The vote was unanimous except for the preacher, who was quickly reminded that he could not vote. Years later, he had the opportunity, or Fred had the opportunity, to go back to that little part of Tennessee. And it said it took him a while to find it because the area had changed. It had grown. And at last, 
I found my way to the church. It was still pretty, pristinely sitting on the hillside, but I was somewhat surprised to see that the parking lot was full of cars and trucks and motorcycles in the middle of the week. Outside, I saw a brand new sign that hung on the church building, and the sign read, Barbecue, all you can eat. It was not a church anymore. The church had died. The pews were pushed against the walls. The organ was in a corner. And the hymn board announced the beer menu. And the restaurant that took its place had hanging in it a sign with all kinds of people in it, just eat barbecue. I turned to my wife and I said, it's a good thing this isn't a church anymore. Otherwise, these people couldn't be here. In case you missed it, there is a little bit of talk about church these days. And there's a little bit of talk about a vote these days. And there's talk about who and what and when and where and why and how. And we have an opportunity, Chapel Roswell. We have an opportunity to pick a longer ending. We have an opportunity to really be the place to feed the people, heal the people, and follow Christ. I think all we need to do is grill a few fish. Isn't that the gospel? Amen.